Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and uh, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge any of you who are visiting, maybe you're watching online for the first time. Uh, just want to welcome you and thank you for joining us. Uh, before I get into the message, um, I want to let you know that next Saturday, this coming Saturday actually at 10 a.m. here at the church, we're going to be having a celebration of life service for Pastor Gary's mother. Um, as he shared uh, many weeks back that she had passed away, Mary Shiohama, a dear sister of ours, member of this church family, um, passed away. So we're going to come and celebrate. Uh, Pastor Gary wants you to know there's no pressure for you to feel like you need to attend, but we also know that many of you guys would love to attend, and so that's going to be at 10 a.m. Um, no need to bring any flowers. Uh, just come casually dressed, and we will celebrate her life together. Okay, so that's 10 a.m. coming Saturday. Well, uh, if you're new to the church or you're just joining us recently, we've been in the series called What We Believe, and we've been looking at some of the core doctrines of what we believe as Christians, looking at evidence from the scriptures. Today, I want to talk about the glory of God. You realize that there are some things that are just a lot easier to describe or explain than others. For example, have you ever tried to explain to somebody who has never smelled before, who has zero sense of smell, what the sense of smell even is? Think about that. That's going to take you a while to figure out how to do that. And then there's some things that are just easier to do, like to describe what something smells like. For example, you guys know that I love this stuff. Does anyone know what this is? Stinky tofu, you guys know, right? And, and this is crazy that, that some people in the world, including Taiwanese, think that this is actually the smelliest, the worst stinking food on earth. Now, this is what blows my mind. I admit it smells terrible. And it tastes just like it smells. And yet somehow it tastes amazing. Like how does that even equate and if you wanted to describe to somebody how, what it smells like, and I wish you could smell for yourself, it's actually quite easy. I, I found this travel blog online. It's called Migrationology. And here's what this blogger wrote about stinky tofu. She describes it like this. Now imagine hiking through the mountains for an entire week. And during the hike, you've crossed multiple streams of water and your socks and shoes never had a chance to fully dry out. And at the end of the week-long hike, you finally sit down, you pull off your soggy socks and your shoes, and you take a long, lung-filled lung whiff, and that's stinky tofu. <laughs> that's how they described it. Here, here's a non-biased uh, description from, of course, the trustworthy Wikipedia. It says this about stinky tofu. From a distance, the odor of stinky tofu is said to resemble that of rotten garbage, manure, or smelly feet. Bingo. Nailed it on the head. And so it would be easy to describe to someone what something smells like. But how do you describe to someone who has never smelled anything in their life, zero sense of smell, what smell even is? Think about that. That would be hard to do. And we run into a similar problem when it comes to trying to describe the glory of God. Like you could describe something as being glorious. Like when you tell your friends about the time when your kid hit that game-winning shot for the team. Or, or if you're a golfer, that first time you sank that hole in one, it was so glorious. And yet if you take the word glory by itself, how would you explain to someone what glory is? 
when you talk to them about the glory of God, how do you start to describe that? And you see in the Bible, the Bible talks about God's glory in so many different ways in different places. It says that we fall short of the glory of God, yet somehow his glory is seen in us. The Bible says that, that we have seen his glory, and yet it also says no one can see his glory and live. The Bible says that God is full of glory, and yet we are supposed to give God glory? Like, how does that even make sense? What is this glory thing? Well, today what I want to do is I want to take you through scriptures and show you what the Bible says about glory in, in hopes that we would have a better grasp of what the glory of God is so that we would better be able to give it to him. And the way I want to do it this morning is I want to break it down in three ways. I want to show you how God's glory is a noun, how God's glory is an adjective, and how God's glory is a verb. Okay, so let's pray, then let's ask the Lord to open the eyes of our hearts. All right, let's, let's come before him now. Father God, I, I want to ask boldly right now that you would show us your glory. God, help us to see it in the way that you want us to see it and understand it in a way that we can really know it in our hearts and then show it in our lives. God, Lord, this is just something that is almost impossible to wrap our minds around if it weren't for the help of your Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, we ask that your Spirit would come and be our teacher this morning, that you would help us to know our, our, our chief purpose on earth. What is our highest priority? What were we made for? And I pray that we would live it out well and according to your purpose, Lord. God, may you be glorified. May you receive glory during this time. So draw us into you. Speak to us now, Lord. Remove all distractions, all the thoughts, feelings, voices, everything that's going to keep us from encountering you this morning. Remove it so that we would see you in your fullness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start by... Inviting you, if you have your notes, you have a journal, maybe your apps, or maybe your laptop is open, write this down. God's glory is a noun. God's glory is a noun. A noun is a person, a place, or a, a thing. Let me show you how God's glory is a noun. You know, when I was in high school, somebody was supplying uh, some of these high school student fake Rolex watches, and they were going around selling them to students on campus. Now, there are like cheap fakes where you could buy that to swap me and you could tell right away. And then there are like legit fakes. There, 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 there are legit fake Rolexes. We call them Folexes. And if you were to put them together, you could not tell the difference with your eyes which one is real and which one is fake. Now, how many of you can tell me, how do you tell if you had these two in front of you, which one is real and which one is fake? You, you would weigh it. You would feel it in your hands, and, and, and the weightier one is the one that is more worthy. Why? Because that one was the one produced with higher quality metals and materials. They say if it's light, it ain't right. But if it's weighty, then that's worthy. That's the more valuable one. Well, in the Bible, the word for glory is the Hebrew word kavod. Kavod, and literally in, in its primitive meaning, it, kavod means heavy. It means weighty. And when you think about the weight of someone, figuratively speaking, when someone carries weight, it means that they are worthy. 
They have prominence. They're significant. They're powerful. They have kavod, glory. Anybody hear the slap last week? Oh, man, yeah, the slap heard around the world, right at the Oscars. Will Smith, who's an actor, if you don't know this story, he walks up onto the stage in the middle of the show because he was offended by a joke that comedian Chris Rock told, and he goes right in front of everybody and hits him across the face, right across the face. It's the slap heard around the world, and I don't, I don't know how you feel about Will Smith right now. It doesn't matter. The truth is, if Will Smith were here at the 9 a.m. service here at South Bay Community Church, sitting right here in the second row, everyone would feel the weight of his presence. Like, everybody would know it. You would not even be listening to what I'm saying right now. You wouldn't hear it because you'd be busy nudging the person next to you, whispering in, hey, Will Smith is here. He's at South Bay Community Church. There is a way to his presence. There's significance that surrounds him. Now that night at the Oscars, Will Smith didn't feel the need to apologize to Chris Rock for what he had done. He had won an award and he gave a speech, but not once said a word of sorry to Chris Rock. He didn't feel he needed to. Will Smith carries weight. But Will Smith knows that there is one who is weightier than him. His name is Oscar a.k.a. the Academy, because the next day on Monday, the Academy publicly calls him out and, and condemns his act of violence. And only then, after the Academy spoke, did Will Smith take to social media and publicly apologize to Chris Rock and to the Academy. Why? Because to Will Smith, the Academy carries weight it is a significant voice and presence in his life. The academy can impact his career, can impact his success, can impact his reputation, and sadly, even his sense of worth. And so the more important, the more prominent, the more powerful your voice and your presence is, the more weight you carry. And kavod is weight. It is the weight of glory, and God doesn't just have kavod, but the Bible says that he is the king of kavod. He is the king of glory. Psalm 24 says this, in verses 7 and 8, Psalm 24 says, Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. And so God's glory is when we experience the weight of who he is. Whoever's beholding him and his glory experiences the significance, the prominence, the honor, and the power that he carries. So in practical terms, I want you to think about God's glory like this. is whenever God is put on display and made known, that's glory. That's God being glorified. And sometimes that's a physical display. Like in the Old Testament, when, when Moses spoke to the burning bush and the bush was in flames and God spoke through that, God's presence was there to the point where Moses had to remove his sandals because he realizes he's standing on holy ground. That's God's glory in that bush burning in flames. And then in the Old Testament, when the Israelites were fleeing Egypt, and God appeared in a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of clouds by day. The Israelites felt the weight of his presence with them. That's 
the glory being made manifest. God is on display, and the weight of his existence is being experienced. One of the more common ways, common forms of God's glory manifesting in the Old Testament or the New Testament as well, we see is through this brilliant light, like bright shining light, not a figurative light, like a physical light. And sometimes it's blinding. We, t- we talk about how we get to the new heavens and the new earth, the eternal state of all things, and there's going to be a new city of Jerusalem. And do you realize there's no nighttime there? There's no, not even any sun or star or moon. Revelation tells us this in chapter 21, verse 23. It says, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. Why? For the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. There's no nighttime because God emanates this brilliant, glorious light, and heaven will forever be filled with his glorious light. Now, why does light represent God's glory? What what is it about light? Well, here's what Wayne Grudem says. He's a theologian who wrote the, the book Systematic Theology. He says, since God is spirit and therefore invisible, you can't see God, He says this, he says, God's glorious light is the created brightness that surrounds God's revelation of himself. It is the visible manifestation of his invisible qualities and the excellence of his character. In other words, the light is something that God has created to to make known his nature, his character, to indicate his presence among us without killing us. And overwhelming the one beholding his glory. Have you ever sat in a dark room for a long period of time? Right? Maybe you're in a movie theater, two hours watching this movie. Maybe you're at Disneyland and you're on Pirates of the Caribbean or the Haunted Mansion, right? And you're just in darkness sitting there. And then what happens as soon as you open the exit door and you walk out? Boom, right? Like, ah, oh, it's so bright, right? Why? Because you've become accustomed to the darkness you've been sitting in. You've adjusted to this darkness that the moment you see something that's so different, so other, you know there is a complete contrast. And God's light is so wholly other. When we've been living in this world, sitting in sin and surrounded by evil, this is what we've become accustomed to, that when God decides to show up and, and show his glorious light, when it is seen, there is no way to deny his purity, his character, or his presence. He is so different than anything we've experienced in this world. He is holy other. And so God's glory, we start there, is a now to think it's it's his prominence his weight it's his radiance it's his light is anytime something displays god and makes him known well, let's go on because god's glory is also an adjective would you write that down if you're taking notes god's glory is an adjective if a noun is a thing then an adjective is a description right now, technically speaking, if you want to get technical, the, the, the adjective for glory is glorious. That's how you would describe something. But my point here is that glory as an adjective, it's like an adjective in that it describes 
the attributes and the nature of God. It is not an attribute in itself, but it describes the manifold perfection of God. There are things about God that make God God. And glory describes the fullness of who he is. And so when we talk about glory being God put on display and being made known, sometimes that's a physical display like we just talked about. But not always. Sometimes it's a spiritual revelation. When God is being described in some way, so when you see that God is love, God is generous, God is patient, God is kind, God is, whenever you learn something about who God is, that is God getting his glory. He's being revealed. God is being made glorious. Sir Isaac Newton was a famous scientist who has impacted us all. We've been impacted by his inventions and experiments in the past. He was a scientist, and yet at times I would say he's a mad scientist. It's just crazy the way he thinks. Why? Because there's this one experiment I read about where he decided he was going to stare directly at the reflection of the sun to see what would happen. And needless to say, Sir Isaac Newton goes temporarily blind for three days at least. And this is what he said. He had to hide himself in a room, a dark room for three days, closed all the curtains and just stayed in darkness because he said, I couldn't get the image of the sun out. Here's what he wrote. He said, I used all means to divert my imagination from the sun, but I still saw its picture even though I was hiding in the darkness. See, no matter what I tried to get the, the image of the sun, I still saw its glorious brilliance in my eyes, no matter what I tried to do. This guy stares at the sun. He's supposed to be brilliant. That's dumb. Like, why would you stare at the, I Even I could tell him, you can't stare at the sun and not go blind. You can't stare at the sun and not be ruined. How do I know? Because I, I tried it before. I tried it myself in elementary school. The teacher said that there's going to be a solar eclipse and we could see the eclipse. But even I know that I can't stare straight at it. Come on now. So I took my dad's welding mask and I got one of these and I put it on and I knew that if I could stare at it like this, that, that maybe I could see the eclipse. Have you ever put one of these on? Do you know what it looks like from the inside of this? Let me show you. It looks like this. Boom. Yeah, like you see nothing at all. You can't see anything. And yet, if you have this on and you set the sun, you'll see this. You'll be able to see the outline of the eclipse. Come on, Mr. Newton. Even I know that. I could have told you that. If staring at the sun can permanently ruin you, how much more staring at the creator of that sun? How much more brilliant is the maker of that sun? I look at Moses. I think Moses is more mad because Moses, he saw crazy things in his lifetime. He saw a bush speaking as it's burning. He saw his staff turn into a snake before his very eyes. He saw the Red Sea split before him. And yet, as if that weren't enough, he, he asked for something even crazier. This is what he says to God in Exodus chapter 33, verse 18. Moses says to God, please show me your glory. <laughs> Are you crazy? He's, he's basically saying, God, show me your face. 
Like, what is wrong with this guy? Then God responds to him in verse 20. God says, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. So God's saying, look, you'll die if you saw me in all my fullness. And yet God wants to meet him. He wants to somehow meet him for as much as Moses can handle. So in verse 21, he says to him, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Here's what God is doing in his grace. He's like, you want to see my face? No, you'll die. But here, here, let's try this. Come up to Mount Sinai, just you. Leave the Israelites behind. And there's, there's, there's going to be this crack in this rock. And, and so I'll, I'll stick you in the dark crack. It's dark down there. I'll cover you with my hand. And then I will let my glory quickly pass by. And when it passes by, I'll give you a quick glimpse of my backside. Just a quick, not, not my face, but a quick glimpse. And you'll see as much as you can see and not die. And so they do that. God brings them up to Mount Sinai, sticks them in the crack, covers him, and he lets his glory pass by, gives them a quick glimpse of his backside, and that was it. Boom. And Moses is forever changed. Now my question is, what was in that glory that passed by? What was in that glory? And the Bible doesn't say explicitly that light passed by, although we, we can infer that. How do we know? Because after 40 days after that experience on Mount Sinai, Moses goes down to the mountain and he's radiant. He's beaming. And I'm not talking about, ha, I just saw the glory of God. He's not beaming. No, he's literally beaming. His face is a flashlight. Light is coming off his face and people are freaked out. Why is his face shining? Here's what it says in Exodus 34, verse 30. It says, Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. Moses, light is coming from your face. And we're freaked out. And he had to put a veil over it to keep them at a distance. So it could have been that light passed by. It doesn't say that explicitly. What does the scripture say explicitly? Past. What was in that glory? I'll show you. In that glory was a glorious revelation of who Yahweh is. It was God putting himself on display. Yahweh, the name of the Lord, it says this in Exodus 34, 6, 8. He's in the cleft of the rock. He's being covered up. And in verse 6 it says, the Lord passed before him. And proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord. And when you see Lord, all caps in the Old Testament, that's the name Yahweh. That means I am. That's the name of, of God. He says, the Lord, the Lord, I am. A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and he worshiped. 
The glory wasn't this crazy experience of some physical thing, but more than anything, it was God revealing who I am. I am merciful. I am gracious. I am patient. I am loving. I am faithful. I am forgiving. I am just. This is who I am. And so we see that the glory of the Lord can be a physical display, making himself known, or it could be a spiritual description of the beautiful attributes of God, or it could be both at the same time. But glory is whenever God is on display and made known. I want to ask you, how has God made his glory known to you in your life? Think about your recent past. How has he been revealing his character or his attributes in your life? As I was preparing this message, Friday night, God revealed his glory to me. I'm sitting in my office Friday night, finishing up this message, 9.30 at night, my door is closed, and all of a sudden, God reveals his glory. I get a knock at the door, 9.30. I open the door, and my wife, Monica, is standing there, with my nine-year-old daughter, Karis. And what in the world could they be knocking on my door for? They know I'm preparing my message. And Monica says, Daddy, Karis just asked if she can pray and accept Jesus into her heart. Earlier that day, her teacher, Mrs. Crawford, said that just because you know Jesus doesn't mean you go to heaven. Just because you know who he is doesn't mean you're saved. You have to accept him as your Lord and Savior. Accept him into your heart. And so she came to us that day saying, I want to accept Jesus into my heart. And so at 9.30 in our room, the three of us are on our knees in my office, and we walk her through the gospel. And we have her explain to us, what do you understand? She says, Jesus died on the cross to forgive me of my sins. And if I believe in him, I could have eternal life. And so right there, together we pray, and Karis prays on our own that Jesus would forgive her of her sins and come into her life and give her eternity in heaven. God was putting on display his glory. God was being glorified. Because in that moment, we are realizing that he is a God who saves, he is a God who delivers, he is a God who forgives, and he is a God who rescues. That is the glory of God being revealed to a nine-year-old and to her mommy and daddy. How has God been revealing his glory to you? How has he been making known his beautiful attributes? So God's glory is a noun. God's glory is an adjective. And I want to finally say that God's glory is a verb. Would you guys write that down? God's glory is a verb. Now help me out. If a noun is a thing and an adjective is a description, then a verb is an action. It's an action that's performed, right? And so the action of glorifying God is when someone or something performs the action or actively makes God known, actively reveals who God is. Now, my question is, what in the universe glorifies God? What in the universe glorifies God? The universe glorifies God. Creation glorifies God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, the sun, moon, and stars, and it all gives God glory. 
You know what? When I walk out of my house at night here in Torrance, California, I walk out, look at the sky. You know what I see? Here's what I see. Boom. Not much at all, <laughs> right? But you remove the pollution and all the distractions from the city, and you actually go out and see what's really there. What do you see? You see the stars. You see heaven. This is what you see. And in Psalm 19, verse 1, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. The heavens declare the glory of God. What is this glory? Well, they're making a declaration of who he is. What are they declaring? They're saying God is creator. God is beautiful. God is artistic. God is majestic. God is grand and God is big. They're declaring who their creator is. That's what the universe does. Then we go to the Old Testament. We say that God's glory is displayed in other ways, like the burning bush or the pillar of fire at night. Then we get to the New Testament. And what in the New Testament glorifies God? Well, for one, among many, Jesus the Son glorifies God. Right? Because John chapter 1, verse 14 says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. The glory as of the one only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus embodies the nature of God. Hebrews 1.3 says this, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. In other words, what we see in Jesus is what we know is true of the invisible God. He is the exact imprint of the invisible God. So when we see Jesus and he hangs on the cross and the veil of the temple is torn, we see that God is a way maker. When we see God, Jesus die on the cross, go into the grave, then three days later resurrect, we see that God is a miracle worker. When Jesus says the Holy Spirit will come after I ascend and then he comes just like Jesus said he would, we see that God is a promise keeper. When we see Jesus sit in the midst of sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors, we see that God is a light in the darkness. And that way we can look at Jesus and say, my God, that is who you are. You're a way maker, a miracle worker, a promise keeper. A light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. Jesus resurrects, ascends into heaven. 2,000 years later, we fast forward to today. Now, what in the world glorifies God? What in the world glorifies God? I'll show you. Do this with me. Okay, participate really carefully. Look to the left of you. Look to the right. Yes, we glorify God, the, the, peep, the church. We bring him glory. This is what you and I were made for. This is what we exist to do. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 31 says, Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. This is the chief end of man. This is why we exist to bring him glory. Now the question is, how do we glorify him? Very simply, you reflect him. You put him on display in your life. 
practically, you could glorify him on the hills and in the valley. And here's where we take this home. Here's the application. Write this down. We glorify God on the hills. We glorify God on the hills. What hills? What are you talking about? I'm talking about the mountaintop experiences in life. Right? I'm talking about where the, the grass is green and the sun is bright and, and the blessings are abundant and life is good. How many of you guys love mountaintop experiences? That is a place in life where you ought to glorify God and make him known, reflecting him to the world. Right? Psalm 105 says this, verses 1 to 3. It says, oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds. Make known his deeds among the people. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of his wondrous works. Go tell it on a mountaintop. Glory in his holy name. So when God does good things in your life, make known his goodness to those around you. In other words, when he presents himself to you there on the hill, represent him to the world. Represent him. We are his representatives. We're his ambassadors. Last week, as Pastor Gary mentioned, we, we, we had made an announcement that Pastor Igor fled Ukraine with his wife. They ended up here in L.A. and they needed a car. So we put out an ask, does anybody have a car that they can use for the next couple months? I love it that two young couples came forward, David and Carly Leon said, hey, we have two cars, he could borrow one. And Tim and Julian Loon said, hey, we also have two cars, he could borrow one. And it's not like they had a third extra car laying around. It's like, no, we have two, they could use one while they need it, then we'll just make do and figure out our schedule for this one car. And I love that, why? Because that's them reflecting the provision of God. That's them saying, God has provided us a car, we want to represent that car, God's provision to someone else. Scott and Lauren Hamada, another young couple, after they got married, moved into a, a place together with their dogs, and they did something radical. We, we, we said that there's a missionary family, the, the Nance family. Zach and Allison and their little daughter, Kayla, they're wanting to go to Japan, but they sold their house, and then the doors closed because of COVID. And so now they have no place to live, and they're in California, and they said they needed a place to stay. So we said, is there anybody who had opened up their place for a month? to these strangers in your own home. Scott and Laura uh, did something radical. They said they can stay with us. And so they let this family that they had never met, a complete stranger, stay in their house with them for an entire month. What were they doing? They were glorifying God by reflecting a hospitable God. I asked them, well, why did you open up your house? your home. Well, for one, they read a book called Radical. And they realized through reading that and reading the scriptures that God has given them their house as a gift. And they wanted to represent that gift. God has provided us generously, and we want to reflect a generous God. I love that. I love it when the people of God come to know firsthand the qualities of God and then reflect the qualities of God to other people. That's giving God glory. And so when life is good, we have every reason to glorify God by doing good to those around you in the name of God. 
How many of us, show of hands, how many of us love mountaintop experiences? Yeah, amen? They're good. I, I love mountaintop. I wish my whole life were just a bunch of mountaintop experiences to mountaintop experiences to mountaintop experiences. Wouldn't that be amazing? Right? I would give God so much glory, 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 right? Like mountaintops everywhere. If life were like that, but sometimes we look at what life is really, really like, and the reality is that sometimes before getting from one mountaintop to the next, sometimes you have to go through the valley. And I want to challenge you, church, we glorify God in the valleys. Would you write that down? We glorify God in the valleys, too. Now, one question that gets asked a lot is, if God is so good... Why would he allow evil and suffering? And that is a loaded question with a loaded answer. But let me say this one thing for you to consider. Consider this one thing. Without suffering and evil, we would never know the fullness of God's glory and his attributes and character. We would know some, but we wouldn't know the fullness. Let me explain. You know, on Friday... um, Pastor Igor and his wife came, came to Torrance to pick up the car that Tim and Julian were lending them. So we got to give them the keys, and then we got to sit with them for an hour and just hear their stories. And it, it was crazy. And you're going to hear more coming up from them. But I'm, I'm telling you, it was just so gripping to hear how, like, that day they go to work, right? Pastor Igor goes to the seminary, and just like that, they get a notice that they have to evacuate and flee. So they, they don't even get to go home to pack their bags. They just run for the train station. There's crowds of people at the train station. Imagine a crowded Disneyland, and then you get separated from your family. You know how crazy, scary that is? So Pastor Igor and his wife get separated in that crowd trying to get onto the train. And as they're separated, Pastor Igor's phone dies because he didn't have time to grab his charger. And so for five days, they're not able to contact each other to, to know where they are. And Pastor Igor's wife makes it to Poland. That's where she was trying to get. Not knowing if he's still in Ukraine, if he's in Poland, if he's alive or not. They're only letting women and children go first. Can you imagine how scary that is? It's crazy. It's like you hear about Ukraine on the news and what's going on and it feels so distant. It's on the other side of the world. And yet when, when I'm sitting there, flesh and blood, sharing their stories, I realize this isn't like a history book. This is not like the diary of Anne Frank. They're telling me what just happened weeks ago, days ago. Seeing people they know dead, their seminary in rubbles. And you realize as you hear this story, there's real evil and real suffering really going on right now in Ukraine. And yet do you realize what is being revealed in the midst of that suffering and evil? Well, at least a few things, selflessness is being revealed. Selflessness. Here's a Ukrainian who saw a Russian landmine on the road, in the middle of the road, and there's this video, maybe you've seen this video, it's kind of gone viral, but out of selflessness, he picks up the landmine with his bare hands to remove it off of the road and move it into a wooded area to let the Ukrainian military come through and to protect his fellow countrymen. That's selfless. You know what else is being revealed? Sacrifice. 
Here, here's a young man, a Ukrainian man named Vitaly. And Vitaly volunteered to help lay out landmines on a bridge to keep Russian tanks from advancing and causing more destruction. As he's laying these down, Russian tanks are coming. He realizes he doesn't have enough time to run to safety. He thinks the best thing to do is to detonate this landmine now while he's on it to destroy the bridge, which would also mean destroying himself, which he did in order to keep Russian tanks from advancing. That's sacrifice. In the midst of evil and suffering, you know what else is being revealed? Courage. Because there are heroes in Russia as well. And here's a group of Russians. These Russians courageously took a stand and, and they spoke up and stood out against Putin and his attacks. And people would say that's courage and, and that's brave. Now, before the attacks on Ukraine, each of these people I just shared with you went about ordinary lives like you and me. They went to school, work. They, they did their things, ordinary lives. But in their lifetime, they were developing these character traits of selflessness, of sacrifice, of courage that was virtually invisible to us. Especially on this side of the world, we didn't see that of them until crisis happened. And in the midst of crisis, in the midst of evil and suffering, what was in them was being revealed. What was in them was coming out. And in the midst of that crisis, we saw who they are on the inside. Here's one thing that I know results from the suffering and the evil that God allows in this world. It reveals the intrinsic qualities and the full glory of our God. Right? Sure, we, without evil and suffering in this world, we would know things about God. We would know of his beauty and his handiwork and his grandeur. We would know these things, but we wouldn't know everything. Think about this. Without sin and evil, we would never have known the amazing grace and the forgiveness of our God. Without sickness and suffering, we would never know the compassion, which means to suffer with. We would never know the compassion and comfort and mercy of our God without wounds and hurts. We would never know of the healing and redemptive power of our God. And so one thing we know is this, that in the valleys of our lives, God is maximizing his glory. In the valleys of our lives, God's glory is being maximized. The trials you face are going to reveal to you the depths and the fullness of our God. And when you experience those attributes of God in the valley, like Moses on the mountain, right, we begin to radiate the things of God that we've been exposed to. See, because forgiven people forgive people. Loved people love people. Comforted people comfort people. Embraced misfits, embrace misfits. And the way that God presents himself to you in your valley is how you're called to represent God to others when they're found in their valleys. So we glorify God on the hills, we glorify him in the valleys. I want to close by saying this. Listen, you are all, every single one of you listening, you are image bearers of God. You're created to bear his image and then to reflect it to a dying world. 
You were created to radiate his glory. Moses on that mountain, in that cleft, he experienced the glory of God and he was radiating God's glory from his face and so he had to veil it. I want to say to you, church, do not veil that glory. Lift up the veil and let your glory shine. Let God's glory shine out of you. We're told to do this. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. What's that saying? You are image bearers of God. You bear his image. And I know we sin and we fall short of the glory of God. We all do. But listen, we are growing in his image from one degree of glory to a greater degree of glory. We're reflecting him more and more. How? As we willingly go through experiences in life, whether it's on the hills or in the valleys, there comes this increasing brightness this clear image of God in us reflected as we walk with him, as we go from hilltop to valley, and from valley to hilltop. God's exposing himself to you, and you have to represent him to the world. So whether you eat or drink, whether you're on the hill or in the valley, do it all for the glory of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father God, we thank you that you would use us to be vessels of your glory. God, we, we're nothing. We're, we're, we're miry clay. We're dirt from the ground. And yet, God, you would choose us to let your fullness be represented in us. This is what you made us for. Why we exist. This is the purpose of our life. And so, God, I pray that we would be willing to go through the valleys, that we'd be willing to shout it out and declare your works from the mountaintops, wherever we are, whatever we're doing in life. God, use us for your glory. Help us to willingly endure whatever you give us. God, knowing that there is a greater purpose way beyond us, way bigger than us. God, we thank you that you first made yourself known to us. You revealed your glory, your, your grace, your salvation, your forgiveness, just like you revealed to my nine-year-old daughter, Karis. Thank you for doing that for us. And we pray that, God, we would show that to other people through our words, through our actions, through our life. We want to bring you glory. God, right now we do that now. We respond. We sing these songs of praise. We shout it out. And as we... Shout out these lyrics, Lord. We think about your attributes, and we give glory to your holy name. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.